Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche, I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Well, good week, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show. The NCAA Frozen Four begins today. That's right, today, as I'm speaking with you right now. Well, in fact, it is Thursday at about 2 a.m. Uh, I, w- I needed to wait until the very end of the action on Wednesday because I'm going to update you on CHL playoffs in this opening segment. Uh, so I wanted to make sure that at least the show comes out before the Frozen Four starts but is up-to-date as well with uh, CHL playoff uh, updates. And we'll look at the AJ and the BCHL as well. The Pipeline Show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. You can get it in three different Edmonton and area locations, Leduc, Spruce Grove, and West Edmonton Mall, or you can go to their website, and then you can get it anywhere in Western Canada. That's wilhockbeefjerky.com. All right, let's get right to the CHL playoff update. So we'll start in the queue, and there's uh, three series that are already done. Sherbrooke swept the BBR Mata. Halifax did the same to Cape Breton, and Quebec also with a sweep in round one against Charlottetown. So those three teams off to the second round. Moncton and Baycomo are tied 2-2. Ramuski has a 3-1 lead over Shakutami. So does Gatineau against St. John. Roy Naranda. Up 3-1 against Schwinnigan, and uh, a bit of a surprise, the lower seed here, Drummondville, with a 3-1 lead over Victoriaville in the Battle of the Vills. Moving westward in the OHL, the big story here right now, the Kitchener Rangers, the number 8 seed in the Western Conference, they are up 3-0 on the Windsor Spitfires. Game 4 goes tonight in Kitchener, so Windsor has to win on the road just to stay alive. The Kitchener Rangers playing some pretty good hockey uh, to start the playoffs. They are up 3-0. The London Knights are up 3-0 on Owen Sound. So are the Sarnia Sting against the Guelph Storm. And uh, Saginaw has a 3-1 advantage over Flint. Only one series in the OHL is is done in a four-game sweep. Now, those other three have only played three games. But uh, Peterborough finished off the Sudbury Wolves in four straight. That one surprises me a bit that it was that quick. Ottawa leads Oshawa two games to one. And uh, two Series that are tied 2-2. That has North Bay and Mississauga, as well as Barrie and Hamilton. Those two series are definitely going to go to six games. In the Western Hockey League, there are a couple. Uh, there are three sweeps and potential for two more. 
Uh, but the sweeps that are official, Winnipeg takes out the Medicine Hat Tigers and uh, Moose Jaw, four-game sweep of the Lethbridge Hurricanes. That one surprised me. I thought I did pick Moose Jaw to win, but I thought that could be a very long series. Not the case. Uh, Moose Jaw uh, taking out Lethbridge in four. Seattle also dispatching the Kelowna Rockets in four straight games. Kamloops can do the same to Vancouver, and Portland can do the same to the Everett Silvertips if they can win game four as they both have 3 nothing leads. Prince George and Tri-City are deadlocked two games apiece. The Red Deer Rebels can eliminate Calgary on Friday. That will be game five. The Red Deer leads three games to one over the Hitmen. What a series the Saskatoon and Regina collision is turning out to be. It's a road team series for sure. Regina winning game one and two in Saskatoon. The Blades returning the favor in Regina for games three and four. And the last three games, all of them have gone to overtime. Great series. If you haven't had a chance to watch that one, uh, tune in for that. In the AJHL, we're into the semifinals. They start on Friday in the south. It'll be Brooks against Black Falls. And in the north, it'll be Bonneville taking on the Spruce Grove Saints. Most people expect it will be once again Brooks and Spruce Grove in the final. The BCHL playoffs are underway as well. Nanaimo and Langley are tied 2-2. Surrey and Powell River are uh, it's a 3-1 for Surrey. Albany Valley swept the Victoria Grizzlies four straight. Chilliwack is uh, ahead of Coquitlam 3-1. The Penticton V's no problem with the Trail Smoke Eaters. Wenatchee is up 3-1 on Cranbrook, and it's uh, Cranbrook with the home ice advantage in that series. West Kelowna and uh, Vernon are tied 2-2. And Salmon Arm, no trouble with Prince George. That was a four-game sweep. Not playoffs yet in the USHL, but getting closer. Three teams in the East have locked up uh, spots. Chicago, Youngstown, and the National Development Program. Three more teams will uh, claim those uh, spots and probably will be Green Bay, Dubuque, and Cedar Rapids. In the West, four teams are already in. Fargo, Waterloo, Lincoln, and Tri-City. With uh, both Sioux City and Sioux Falls the next two closest teams. But Sioux Falls and Des Moines are neck and neck uh, for that last spot. And quickly, how about the North American Hockey League? As we've been uh, talking about the last few weeks, Really only one really solid race at the top. That would be in the Midwest Division with Wisconsin and Minnesota. They're separated by four points. Just four games to go, though. So uh, time running out on the wilderness. Both teams are 8-2 and two in their last 10. So no matter uh, as good as Minnesota is playing, they just can't catch Wisconsin because they're, they're keeping pace. Similar situation in the East. New Jersey's been playing good. They've won their last five. Uh, but in their past 10, they're 7-3. and three. So are the team they're chasing at the top the Maryland Black Bears, and Maryland has a seven-point lead. New Jersey does have two games at hand, though, but time running out. All right, speaking of time, we're just going to get right to the show. All my guests join me courtesy of the Troubled Monk hotline. Go to troubledmonk.com shop. See everything that Troubled Monk has to offer. You can place orders online if you're in Alberta and then pick them up in Calgary or Edmonton at the uh, Farmer's Market. Instructions for that are right on the Troubled Monk website. You can also go to the tap room right there in Red Deer, where you can get some exclusive brews that they have right on tap. And it's not just beer, they have uh, spirits and they have soda as well. Troubledmonk.com slash shop. All right, the guest that you're going to hear from today, Dave Starman, who is uh, in Tampa, will be calling the games on radio for Westwood One. Uh, he joined me on Monday and he uh, helped me. We put together a really good preview of the upcoming uh, Frozen Four He's a coach himself, so I wanted to pick his brain. And he knows college hockey really inside and out. 
but I wanted to know from him, if he was coaching, how would he beat each one of the four teams? That was sort of the premise that I went into it with him, and uh, I I really enjoyed the conversation. So we're going to hear from Dave Starman in the first segment. Second segment is the NCAA Coaches Conference call. You're going to hear from all four coaches in that segment, and we're going to wrap things up with a 2023 draft spotlight. We've been having a lot of goaltenders on lately. Trey Augustine from the U.S. National Development Program. He's a Michigan State uh, recruit. He'll be there next year. We'll uh, close out today's episode speaking with him. Well, let's get right to it. Dave Starman, longtime broadcaster covering the NCAA. Get you set for the Frozen Four. Next, here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hi, it's Nate Lehman, the head coach of the Providence College Friars. You're listening to the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. The cream rise to the top, oh yeah. The cream of the crop! Nobody does it better. All right, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming and the NCAA's Frozen Four gets going from Tampa on Thursday and, of course, the championship game on Saturday. And my next guest will be there. He's uh, one of my favorite guests to get on the program whenever we're talking college hockey, and that is Dave Starman. Uh, Dave, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? What's up, bud? Well, I I wish I was going to Tampa. I listen. I don't I don't blame you. And it's actually getting it's getting nicer here in New York, so that's uh, that's always a good thing. But the Frozen Four in Tampa, we have all decided should be. It's like the Olympics. Every four years, <laughs> the Frozen Four should be there. And I know that I know Vegas is coming, and I'm not a big Vegas guy, but I can really get into the Tampa thing on a regular basis. Well, I've never been to Las Vegas, but when that's like in three, four years from now, that might be one where I actually maybe I go down to Vegas for that one because it's geographically it's one of the closer ones for me. Is it next year? Vegas might be next season. I, I, I for some reason it sounds familiar to me. Like I know Minneapolis, I think is back in the rotation. Vegas might be two years down the road, maybe, but like it's it's in the rotation. Yeah, I thought it was uh, St. Paul or Minneapolis. That's uh, that's next year, but. Uh, I could be wrong. Hey, you're a lot closer to it than I am. But Tampa it sounds like it would be a lot of fun. And now it's not the traditional hockey market that we're kind of expecting, but uh, they've really embraced this tournament there, haven't they? It's the third time that Tampa's had it. And both years that they did was really neat. Like the first year they had it down there, people weren't sure what was going to happen, but FanFest was great. And you know the matchups were odd because, remember, you had that Minnesota-BC matchup in one semifinal, and then the second semifinal was Union and Ferris State. Mm. And I think that for a market that, you know, was not that traditional hockey market, they were hoping for four teams that move the meter more with the brand names right. that the average college sports fan would recognize. And and that 
you know, that wasn't the case. So, but it was, it turned out to be a great frozen four. Johnny Gaudreau made a tremendous play for BC to beat Ferris late. So, uh, so that was a good thing. And then the, the next time it was there, North Dakota beat Quinnipiac to win the whole thing. And North Dakota probably brought with them, you know, more fans than Tampa had ever seen a visiting <laughs> team bring to any event ever. And they just painted the town green. So I am, I'm intrigued to see what this one looks like as we all get going. Well, we know the uh, the games should be really good. I mean, these are these are four teams that uh, well, the fans I think will travel, and uh, these are great matchups. Traditional hockey teams, uh, hockey programs in college hockey. We got Minnesota against Boston University, and uh, Michigan taking on Quinnipiac. These are four really good programs. I guess we got to start with the number one ranked team, and that would be the Golden Gophers. Uh, I, basically, I'm going to ask you the same question for all four teams. We'll start with the Gophers. Dave, tell me why Minnesota can win this tournament. Oh, there's there's definitely a couple of reasons why. And you know, some of them are obvious, and then some of them are a little under the surface. So we'll get into it. By the way, let me just correct myself. Next three Frozen Four, St. Paul, St. Louis, and Las Vegas. Okay. So that'll... So that just gets that out of the way. And last time with this thing was in St. Louis, Michigan State won the national championship. So wow. uh, talking about Minnesota. Yep. Okay. So here's, here's the thing with the Gophers. They're, they're really deep. I mean, that's, that's number one. And they've got obviously their big line with, with Cooley and Nyes and Snuggerud. And, and that line can run rough shot over just about anybody. But you know, the thing with Minnesota where I think they're a little bit better than they might have been last year is, I think they're a little bit more dialed in to playing a 200 foot game and they're a little bit, they're a little bit heavier. Like when you look at their defense core, you got five of the six regulars on that defense core that are at least six foot or above. And then you got a guy like Brock Faber, who is just a mountain of a human being in terms of the way he's playing. And you know, Jackson Lacombe is, is a draft choice of the Anaheim Ducks and, and another kid who's big and, and skilled. And then you got Ryan Chesley, who was on the world junior team. He's a draft choice of the Capitals and, you know, Ryan Chesley was kind of one of those guys looked at is when he was drafted is he'll be eventually the guy that takes over for the spot that's going to be vacated by John Carlson somewhere down the road when Carlson decides to retire. So you've got some, some high end skill on the back end and, and those guys can defend and they can defend really well. But you know, when you look at them up front, uh, down the middle, really good. Jackson Nelson's line to me is a line that could do a lot of different things. He's, he's got Bryce Brodzinski on the right side, a draft choice of the Flyers and, and Brodzinski could score from anywhere as could all the Brodzinski's and, you know, then you get the, the other line that I really like. You know, you get Aaron Huglin in the middle. He's a Sabres draft. You got Rhett Pitlick on the left. He's a Canadians draft. And Connor Kurth on the right, who's a Tampa draft. And those guys can really go. They're a 200 foot line. They can defend. They can create offense. They can get you into a pace kind of game. So outside of the big three, uh, they've got a lot of NHL pedigree behind them. And, mm-hmm. you know, to me, it's their balance of structure and the, and playing creatively which I think makes this team work because you, you can't play it like men's league, right? You can't just be everybody to do what you want. and Let's see how many goals we score. But I do think that Bob Motzko has really let this team prove to him that they can be defensively responsible while playing a little bit more of a freer improvisational type game offensively. And that's why it's working for them. They're the number one ranked team in the nation for a reason. This is up and down. I mean, there's, there's not a lot of holes, but no team is perfect. If there is a weakness or something that you think other teams might try to exploit, if you were the coach for the other team, what what would be your game plan to try to beat Minnesota? That's a really good question. And I think that one of the things that you need to make Minnesota do is play the long game. While they've got a a decor that's a really good breakout group, 
I think that the more time you can get them to spend starting their plays below the circles, below the goal line, and, and having to do it with their face starting against the windshield, I think that is a big deal for teams that want to pin the Gophers in. They, they get a little frustrated when you get them into that long kind of game where they've got to go 200 feet as opposed to getting to a game where they can shorten the rink and, and throw that long home run pass up the middle. And uh, to me, the, the biggest thing to get the Gophers – out of their game is to bait them into a game where the game gets boring, the game gets slow, and the game becomes the turnover-type game where they're constantly trying to recoup the pocket deep in their own end. Uh, now, they've got so many drafted players, a lot of name recognition on this team for sure, but in net, Justin Close isn't an NHL drafted player. Uh, he came in, took over the starting job last year when Jack LaFontaine left, uh, kind of surprising everybody with uh, with Carolina uh, recruiting him basically uh, out of desperation. Uh, but he came in and, and played really well for them, and he's had another good season this year. I mean, he's really good. I don't want to say he's the weak spot on the team or the weak link in the chain, but is he? Oh, I'm going to go opposite completely. I don't think he's the weak link. As a matter of fact, I think he. I think him taking over has saved the Gophers, to tell you okay. the truth. LaFontaine was playing really, really well, but this kid has come in and he saved their season last year from the brink of disaster when LaFontaine left. And he has been really good for him this year. And I, I think one of the things with Minnesota is, you know, they don't mind trading chances. So he's going to see some quality grade A's, and especially at home where the rink's bigger and there's more space. Uh, you've got some creative teams in the Big Ten that, that put a lot of offensive pressure on Minnesota. And Close is really good. He's a big man. He's an older kid. He's calm. He's not a rebound machine. He gets pucks off to the side. He can handle pucks when they get dumped in. I would tell you that Justin Close is a bigger reason why the Gophers will win this thing as weakness and goal elsewhere would be a reason another team would lose. All right, perfect. Dave Starman, my guest, he's going to be you're going to be uh, calling these games for Westwood One. Westwood One, along Brian Tripp from Penn State, will do play by play once again, and nice. Uh, my wife Shereen will be handling ringside, and and I congratulate her once again for being the NCHC Media Excellence Award winner this year in our conference. I saw that, and that awesome for her. And congratulations as well. And I, I guess in this kind of a package deal, they wanted Shereen, but they got to take you too. It's, you know, I'm not lying to you. That's actually kind of what happened a few years ago. So <laughs> they, she was she was on this crew before I was. With the CBS crew, uh, I had the pleasure of recruiting her onto our group. But with when it came to Westwood One, I, it was more uh, she was on the crew and said, you know, Dave's not bad at this, so maybe we should give him a try. But if she keeps winning all his hardware, I'm going to have to get a bigger mantelpiece because that award just went up there with the three Emmys and. It's it's getting a little impressive on her side, and my side is very empty. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> uh, you know I'm just giving you a hard time, Dave. I love uh, the work oh, yeah. that you do. Awesome. All right, Minnesota is taking on Boston University on Thursday. Uh, same question. Tell me why the Terriers can win, Dave. Well, the Terriers are interesting because, remember, they've had a couple of years where it wasn't great, and they made the coaching change, and Jay Pandolfo came in, and you know he put in a lot to BU's system the way – he saw things going in Boston. He, he's created a, a little bit of a pro environment, a pro atmosphere, and, and he's got a lot of athletes that can really run. And I think that's one of the, the key things for his team is the fact that they are a really athletic team. You've got some, you've got some offensive jam. There's no question about it. But you know, I think when you look at this team top to bottom, you realize that you know, this team has a lot of players that, that might not be nationally known but are really, really important within their locker room. And it really starts on the back end with Lane Hudson and Dominic Fensori. And th those two guys are tremendous. I mean, they can move pucks out really well. Uh, Hudson, to me, 
he's had a lot of comparisons with a lot of the great defensemen that have played college hockey in the last few years, and a couple of them have won some big accolades in Adam Fox and Kale McCarr. So when you get mentioned in those kind of conversations, that's kind of a big deal. And Hudson can create anywhere on the ice, and, and Fensori is another one of those kids that, you know, he's learned the offensive component of the game without sacrificing a lot on the defensive end. And at times, Fensori has been really good at sacrificing a little bit on the offensive side to defend better, to make sure they get pucks back and go. So you'll see a lot of Hudson. You'll see a lot of Fensori. One of those two is always on the ice. And then they got a couple of big rigs on that third pairing with Weber and, and Getz. So, so they can defend with length. They can defend with speed. They got a little snarl to them. And then you get that line up top with Jay O'Brien in the middle, Matt Brown on the left, and Ethan Phillips on the right. And you know, That line has, has really done a lot of good things for them. Very multidimensional. They went a ton of face-offs. That's one of the things about BU. They they control the puck a lot because they win a lot of draws. And I just I, I like them on the power play. I think their power play can be effective. But the bottom line for BU, they're an older team. They've got depth. They've got four lines that can go. Their transition's good. I mean, it's not Minnesota or Michigan good. But their transition is really good. And if they can get pucks turned over in the neutral zone, uh, they can wreak havoc on an opposing team with how well they enter zones. I want to go back to Hudson for a second. I thought he should have been in the Hobie hat trick. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that. But, you know, it's not he's not the first uh, freshman to have, lead his team in scoring. That happens. There are lots of talented freshmen out there. He's probably not the first defenseman to have led his team in scoring. I don't know how many freshman defensemen do it, though. Like that's got to be pretty unusual. That's that's an, a, a big accomplishment, I think, for a freshman defenseman to lead a team in scoring, especially one that's playing in Hockey East. I mean, that's a really strong competitive conference, and he's on a good team. I I would agree with you. The, the maturity that he displays when he plays is really evident, and the majority of the work that I saw him this year was more at the World Juniors than I did with BU. And at the World Juniors. He was good for a few games, and then all of a sudden he was great. Mm. And I think it's just was a matter of getting his feet wet and getting comfortable and figuring out the exact role that he had and who he was playing with and some tendencies. But his IQ to me is one of the reasons why he is so effective. He, he gets up the ice really well, but he processes really well. And he's got this unique ability, even if he's leading the rush, he's got this unique ability to figure out how to get numbers to even up, where strength is coming from, where he can make a play. Like, I, I just... I like a lot about this kid, and like I said, I don't think the the comparisons to an Adam Fox or to a Kale McCarr, two other guys that played in the East, uh, McCarr in Hockey East and Fox at Harvard, I, I don't think those comparisons are far off. This kid does a lot of special things, and on with you, I do think there was space for him in that Hobie Hatcher. Yep, I agree. All right, uh, I got to ask you about Jay O'Brien and his evolution as a as a collegiate player. He started at Providence, then left, went to the BCHL, and played in Penticton. Uh, the year in Providence, I don't know if it was just not a good fit for him. I know he'd, he'd gone straight from uh, prep school, and a lot of guys would benefit from a year of uh, junior in the USHL or something before going to college. He didn't do that. Didn't I don't know if he was a healthy scratch a lot of nights. Whatever, it wasn't the right fit for him. But he goes to the BCHL, has a really good year for the Vs, then arrives in BU, seems like he's battled injuries a lot. But this year, he's, I think he played every game this season and, well, statistically had a career year. That shouldn't be a surprise at his age. But has, is he a different player than he than he was? Maybe as, I mean, he's a first-round pick of the Flyers, but is he a different player than what they thought he'd be at this point? I'll tell you this. If you're a young player with expectations on your shoulders, look at Jay O'Brien and use him as your case study and your example of the fact that it's okay to take a step back 
to take two steps forward. And I applaud what he did. So he's a first round pick. So now all of a sudden you got that kind of spotlight on you and, and you're playing at Providence, which is a high profile program. And he felt he needed to go back to junior because something just wasn't working. So he goes back to junior, goes to place for Freddie Harbinson and Penticton, which to me is, you know, like gold and playing in that program. He was at a two point per game kind of pace when, when, when their season got shut down a couple of years back through COVID and, and, and then he went back to college and he went back to college after reinventing his game in junior. And I think that takes a lot of maturity. And listen, some kids are just not built to come out at 18 years old and jump into college hockey right. and jump into that kind of world. And, and apparently he wasn't, but the, the work that he has put in since then in that program, especially coming out of Penticton where it's offense, offense, offense. I think he had a, an epiphany when he was there. I think he grew up when he was there. And he has fought through some of those injuries and different positions and developed some versatility. And uh, he, I mean, he's just a big time ball player now. Like if you're the Flyers, now you can get excited because now you're going to get a man. You're not going to get a kid. Right. All right. Perfect. Well, that's a good look at uh, Minnesota and Boston University. I, I don't, you don't do predictions, do you? Never. But I, I will tell you that if I'm, if I'm BU, I'm confident in my ability to get up and down the ice pretty well. But I don't know how confident I am to go trade chances with that group. Right. So I think for B, I think for BU, like we just talked about with Minnesota, if you're BU and you can get them into the kind of game where they get a little bored, then you got a pretty good chance of stealing it from them. Now I'm going to throw one caveat out there. I've watched a lot of close. I've watched a lot of Camesso. I think close is the better goalie in this game. Camesso worries me a little bit. I think he's excellent when it comes to pucks down low. I think he's got great explosion and pretty good structure, but there are games I've watched him play where I feel like he just loses the puck, doesn't track it well, and he tends to leave a little bit of a messy crease. Like there's a lot of rebounds out there, and and sometimes his compete on these rebounds uh, worries me. So if if there's an X factor here, I think close at the top of his game is better than Tomeso at the top of his game, and if Tomeso is not really really good. I think that hurts BC's ability to want to get into a track meet, which they've got to be careful about doing anyway. So that's kind of how I see that shaping up just a little bit. I, I do want to mention they beat uh, Western Michigan 5-1 in the uh, opening game uh, of the uh, the national tournament. That's a pretty high-octane offense that they had in Western Michigan. Is there similarities between the Broncos and the way the Gophers play? And, and if so, might be you try to play the same way against uh, Minnesota that they did against Western Michigan? It's an excellent question because theory-wise, what Pat Firstrawler has wanted to do at Western Michigan is turn them into a high-flying team, and he has. Like, it, it, I mean, it's almost like they should change their name to the Stallions because, I mean, they just go, <laughs> go, go. And, and and they create offense, and they want to play offense, and they want to score five goals a game. But where Western Michigan and Minnesota differ is the obvious thing is Western Michigan just didn't have the high-end skill that Minnesota has. And Minnesota's defense is so much more of a factor in the offense than Western Michigan's was. Western Michigan's defense was good. Okay. Minnesota's defense is elite. And I think that's where the, the difference was. So you know, when you look at BU, where BU was able to slow Western down for certain parts of the game, I think that's a bigger challenge when it comes to, to Minnesota because Minnesota can come at you shift after shift after shift. Western couldn't exactly match it because – they didn't have obviously they don't have the same depth that Minnesota does. Fair enough. All right. Well, if we're talking high octane offense, the University of Michigan Wolverines are that team for sure. 
and they're going up against Quinnipiac, who is really strong defensively and have great goaltending. It's an interesting matchup. Uh, that's not to say Quinnipiac can't score because they did that in the regional as well. But uh, let's start with Michigan. Why can the Wolverines win, Dave? This is going to sound really simple. They can win because they're really, really good. I mean, that's just the best way to, to describe Michigan. First of all, they're extremely well coached. I, I, I like what Brandon Arado has done. And the biggest difference to me between Western, or between Michigan this year and Michigan last year was I think Michigan's players are a little bit more dialed into the 200-foot game and the fact that they're actually going to have to defend at times than last year's team was. I also think that while Michigan is not a team, and, and this is from watching them a lot this year because they're a team that was kind of on my radar and I did a few of their games, I, I think Michigan this year has become okay with the fact that against certain teams, they're going to have to lay some pucks in and go get them and create off of offensive zone play and low play versus just trying to get them after rush after rush after rush. And that game against Denver last year in the national semifinal, I think taught them a lesson because it took them a good 35 minutes to get on track and a good 35 minutes to kind of figure out that it's not going to work the way that they were trying to play with rush, rush, rush because Denver was too good and too fast for them. But once they started getting pucks in behind Denver's defense, that game changed. So I think for Michigan, their buy-in on that concept really has helped them. It's made them more of a multifaceted team and a little bit harder to handle. So that that starts with it. They, you know, you get a guy like Luke Hughes who can certainly take a game over. Obviously, a, a very high pick in the New Jersey Devils was in the, was in the top five there. But a couple of guys that have flown under the radar from Michigan, I think, are Ethan Edwards and Seamus Casey, who are both really elite-level defensemen for, at the NCAA level and both have made humongous contributions to how well Michigan's played. And Jacob Truscott has been really good back there for them also. So, you know, the, the, the one thing I would tell you is this. When you're, when you're watching Michigan, obviously all eyes are going to be on that Fantilli line with Brindley and McGroarty, which is super, super. Uh, McGroarty is a draft choice in Winnipeg. Fantilli will probably be second or third in the draft, and, and Brindley is going to be a, a real good pro too. But they've got depth in the line centered by T.J. Hughes with Duke and Sam Eskevich. And, and then you get Nazar, who's back in the lineup with Hallam and Ciccolini. I mean, they can do a lot of different things. And then there's a, a guy named T.J. Hughes, no relation to Luke Hughes. He's actually Canadian, and uh, we saw him up here in uh, the AJHL with the Brooks Bandits. And he's had a terrific season as well. Could be one of those guys who, well, he's too old to be drafted now, I think, but uh, could be on the radar for a lot of teams as a free agent. I think, so too. I think he's an 0-1. Yep. And, and it gives them some veteran presence. Now, what's interesting is Michigan's veterans last year is a group that you would take because they were experienced. Michigan's veterans this year, it's not the same deal as it was last year. But the fact that their kids have matured so well and their kids have bought in, it's really made of a nice blend for some of the quote-unquote inexperienced veterans to blend in with some of the kids. But I, I, I think a guy to watch in this game, and I always say this when I talk about Michigan, is Mackie Samuskevich, who's the right wing on Hughes' line. I mean, to me, this is the best wrist shot in the NCAA by far. This kid can score from anywhere, and he's got a unique ability to to gain the zone and, and attack hard ice and get his body kind of contorted so that he can get shots off just when you when you don't think he's going to. And Dylan Duke is, is really good at going in and getting him pucks. T.J. Hughes is really good at finding him. So you got Duke, who's just dog on bone. Hughes got a little muscle to him, and Samuskevich with a scoring touch like I I know Fantilli's line is the line, but Hughes's line I think could swing this game if it really gets on track. Well, just like we said with Minnesota, no team is perfect. If you're on the bench for the opposition, how are you trying to beat Michigan? 
you, you've got to play behind Michigan's defense. I mean, that to me is the, is the number one way you, you beat Michigan because they're a team, much like Minnesota, they want to go, go, go. So if they got to go long, it, it takes a little bit of, of the steam right out of them. And I think Michigan can turn the puck over a little bit more than Minnesota can when it comes to kind of that high-flying thing because they just want to go and they like to lengthen the rink and they like to zip passes up the middle. I, I really think it's important that if you can get behind Michigan's defense and you can make Michigan defend, that's going to be a key component. The number one reason being they spend so much time with the puck that when they have to flip the switch and their defensive intensity has to come up, it may have to be flipped on after they've really not had to defend for a good five minutes. So they're defending part-time in their own end. And once again, you wonder if their intensity level drops because of the fact that they're so used to having the puck. That, to me, is the key. Get behind them. Make them defend in their own end. All right, the last team uh, to talk about are the Bobcats from Quinnipiac. And uh, this is a really strong team, even though they don't have that star power, the national uh, name recognition. Only two drafted players, both of them late-round picks. Uh, but they've got a really good coach who's been here before. Uh, tell me why Quinnipiac can win. You know what's interesting with Quinnipiac is they're, they're just that team that just goes and plays. They're a really good team in terms of, way, in terms of taking away time and space. They defend hard. They really get after you. They pursue pucks. They hound pucks. They're a combination. Like I see the NCHC a ton. They're a combination of the mentality of St. Cloud State who wants to put pressure on left and right and attack you from the inside out and a team that defends really well along the lines of, let's say, like a North Dakota who, who, who can really be very hard on you in their own end. So they've got a couple of different components to them. And, you know, their big line is Skylar Brindamore is a draft choice, as you know, the Edmonton Oilers. And mm-hmm. he's got a fifth-year grad student with Ethan DeYoung on one side, and he's got Desi Burkhart on the other side as another grad transfer. So you got a senior and – not grad transfer, but grad student. So you got a, a senior, and then you've got two fifth-year players on that same line. That experience, to me, I think is going to really matter. And then you get a guy like Zach Metza, who's on the back end, who's probably in the top 10, top 12 of defensemen in the country, really skilled, can move pucks, captain the team, scores big goals for him, can, can run a power play. I mean, like it's, it's a real good defense core. It's stable. You've got depth up front. You've got centers who can win faceoffs. So you've got a team that can possess the puck. And you've got a goalie in Yada Peretz who, depending on who you talk to, will describe him either as a system goalie or a guy that can steal games for you. But when he was in Penticton playing for the V's and playing for Freddie, uh, he was facing a lot of rubber and a lot of nights because, you know, the V's love to trade chances with anybody. And he proved his medal there. So I, I don't think that it's fair to say that Peretz's numbers are because he's a system goalie. Peretz's numbers, I think, would be good no matter who he's playing for. So there's a kid in a 60-minute game can steal one. And I do think Quinnipiac's got revenge on their mind from last year. All right. Well, we uh, I've seen uh, Perrette. I mean, he had a, a shutout with only five shots against when he was playing against Yale here. Uh, was that in the <laughs> ECAC tournament? Uh, so Yeah, Yale had a tough year. Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, so, I mean, there's some of that padding the, the numbers, if you will. But, uh, I mean, yeah, you mentioned his uh, season in Penticton. He had a 918 save percentage there. And as offensive-minded as some of those teams are, that means they probably give up some chances as well. So, uh, he, he, I'm, I think you're right. He probably faced a lot of shots there. Um, he's going to face a lot of shots against uh, uh, Michigan for sure. If you're the Wolverines, how do you beat Quinnipiac? I think if, it's interesting. Listen, you, you know, you're in the Edmonton area. You grew up watching the Oilers, and you saw the Oilers outscore their way out of a lot of bad situations, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the Michigan Wolverines can be very similar. They're a real good team. 
and they're real solid and they're steady. And like Minnesota, possess a nice combination of being able to freelance and and defend. But I will tell you that I don't think there's a team in the country that has scored their way out of more tough situations than Michigan. And I think that in a 2-2 game, if Michigan needs to find a goal, they can. And I think the game against Penn State, they just played where they were tra- they were trailing one nothing for most of the last half of the second period and, and, and a good chunk of the third. And they kept attacking, they kept attacking, and and their their mentality was there. So for Michigan, it's interesting. If they're ahead, they just go for the jugular. You know, they, they kind of taste the blood in the water. But when they're behind, they stay in attack mode to the point where when they finally catch up to you, they're, they have been in attack mode for so long that it's hard for the other team to get back into it. So they're comfortable chasing a game. They're comfortable leading a game because their mentality is it's the next goal. And they might just have too much of that next goal mentality and ability for Quinnipiac to handle. This is the game that I'm really intrigued by because these teams are more similar than they think and very different in a lot of ways. Interesting. All right. Well, that's a great setup for the two games on Thursday. We've got the uh, national championship game on Saturday. I- I'm going to say it's going to be Minnesota and Michigan. I don't know if you feel differently or if you uh, care to give a prediction, but uh, it's well, whoever it is, it's going to be an exciting game uh, because you got four really good teams here. Do you want to give out a prediction? I, I don't predict you know that, but I, I, would, I would say that if you're watching the game just kind of as the casual fan, You've got some interesting things to root for. I mean, Bob Motzko might be the easiest guy in the world to root for right now, and and he's been chasing this elusive national championship as a head coach for a long time. And Brandon Arado at Michigan is a first-year head coach who just got named the permanent head coach. He was the interim head coach for most of the year, just got named the full-time head coach. And you know, Michigan hasn't won one in a long time. But last year when Denver was going for their ninth, their mantra was they want to be the first to ten and this actually gives Michigan the chance to get to be the first to 10, and Denver knocked out Michigan last year. So you got a little storyline there of Michigan missing last year, but now getting to do what Denver really wanted to do and made made public. So that gets a little bit of fun. Rand Pecknell to Quinnipiac has probably flown under the radar undeservedly for a long time. Yeah. Thrilled he coached the World Junior team because it got some light on him in the program. But like I think nobody has worked harder to get that program to, to national championship tournaments than he has. So – Again, that's a program that you can you can really root for. And the BU story is a great one because other than Jack Parker, nobody's ever gotten BU to, to a Frozen Four in their first year. Hmm. So Jay Pendolfo walked in, changed the whole thing around, and here they are with you know with, with the team that they have. And, and again, they might not have the star recognition that some of the others do, but it, it's great to see a guy go back to his alma mater and turn things around so quickly. So there you're kind of four sentimental reasons why you'd want to see everybody win. Well, you got to take it easy on the first-year uh, coaches for BU with that record that you mentioned because Jack Parker coached there for like 100 years, so there, were, there weren't a whole lot of first-year yeah. coaches. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true, and I think Quinny got him there in his second year. I can't exactly remember. He got him there quick, but yeah. it, it wasn't year one. And, and by the way, Jack Parker and Mike Ruzioni will be flying to Tampa together to go watch BU in the Frozen Four, and wouldn't you love to be a fly on the wall sitting behind those two on the plane? No kidding. Oh, that'd be great. All right, before we let you go, the Hobie hat trick. It's uh, we, we've got uh, Adam Fantilli, uh, Logan Cooley, and Matthew Nyes. And now I had said that I would have had Lane Hudson in there, probably instead of Nyes, because I don't think if, if you're not your, the best player on your own team, I don't know how you can be named the best player in college. So I, I would go with Fantilli. Uh, your thoughts on uh, the three that are that are up for the award? Yeah, but before before we do that, I will tell you this. I'll never forget when Ryan Duncan won the Holy Baker Award and somebody said to him, how does it feel to be the best player in college hockey? 
And his answer was, I'm not even the best player on my line. There you and go. he was line mates with, with, with uh, TJ Oshi and Jonathan Cave. So I, I will always think about that when, when, when I, when I hear things along these lines, but like to me, Fantilli is, Fantilli has a lot of what Nyes has in his game in terms of just being a man child and being a physical beast and all the tools that he's gotten. Uh, like I think Fantilli is a little bit of a better player than Nyes is in terms of just skill and ability to impact the game from a, from a scoring perspective. But Nyes has been really good and, and, and I, and I love him as a player. And then you get Cooley and Cooley's interesting because you know, as I said to some people, like I watched Cooley a lot in the last couple of years, and he scored a lot of goals from the hard area, but not a lot of hard area goals. And I think this year he's taken his game a little bit more into the perimeter, inside the perimeter. He's he's challenged inside the dots. He's made some plays with guys on top of him, and I think he's figured out a little bit more of his spatial awareness and where he's got room to play with and where he doesn't. So I think he's getting a little bit more mature in his game, and it's coming together, and he's shortening his shifts, and he's being more efficient. And, I have no idea where this vote goes. I just know that a lot of times when you get two guys on the same team that are both high profile, that vote gets split and goes the other way. But with the with, with being three guys in the Big Ten, I'm not exactly sure how that right. dynamic works itself out. All right. Well, Dave, listen, I really appreciate your time. I, probably the next time you're on, uh, are you going to be the head coach at Minnesota State? Uh, I don't think they've announced uh, that officially yet. <laughs> uh, no. No, I, I that might be a little above uh, where I want to go, but I'm very excited being the assistant coach of my team in the North American Three League out here in Long Beach, New York. That yeah. is, that's been a lot of fun. And you know what? Um, it, when you can drive two miles to the rink, that's a really good thing when you're coaching a team. Yeah. All right, Dave. Really appreciate it, man. Uh, enjoy the tournament down in Tampa. I'm sure you will. Uh, and uh, again, thanks for uh, being available. You got it. Always great to be out with you. Is the one and only, the man, the myth, the legend himself, Dave Starman, who is a coach as well. And uh, that's one of the questions I should have asked him is the coaching matchups uh, in these two games that start on Thursday. You've got a veteran in Bob Motzko going up against a rookie head coach in Jay Pandolfo. And then the veteran head coach, Rand Pecknold, against the first-year head coach, Brandon Narado from Michigan. And you have to wonder how big of an advantage that might be. Not sure, but I should have asked Dave that question. But... Speaking of the four coaches, you're going to hear from all four of them in the next segment as the NCAA USA Hockey held a conference call uh, for the media, and I have the audio. Edited it all down, so it uh, runs a little quicker, but it's still a long segment. So get a coffee together and settle into a comfy chair. All four coaches, the Frozen Four, are up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hi, this is David Carl, head coach of the University of Denver Pioneers, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie. Scores. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious me. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Hey man, what it is with you? You're some kind of dad. 
That would be teaching that little sissy school years. Welcome back to the Pipeline Show, everybody. Geef Flaming with you again. And uh, a reminder, the Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best. You can get it in three locations in the Edmonton area or go to their website and you can get it shipped to you anywhere, any size in Western Canada at wilhockbeefjerky.com. In this segment, we're going to hear from all four coaches for the Frozen Four, which uh, gets going this week. USA Hockey hosted a conference call, an online conference call with uh, all four coaches. And it's a, it's a lengthy chunk of audio, so we're going to get right to it. This is the conference call. It actually happened about a week ago. So you hear some of the coaches referring to uh, as they travel to Tampa. Uh, that has now happened. Everybody is in Tampa and ready to go. But here's the conference call with the all four coaches for the Frozen Four. All right. Uh, we are going to begin the proceedings. Welcome, everyone. I know we have a few more people uh, joining today's event. I'm Dave Fisher from USA Hockey Headquarters in Colorado Springs. My pleasure to take us through. With us to start, the head coach of the Michigan Wolverines, Brandon Dorado. Of course, Michigan seeking its uh, record 10th national title. They're in their 27th Frozen Four, which is a record and uh, great regional final. They beat Penn State 2-1 to one in overtime. On Sunday, Brandon, you've been there uh, at the Frozen Four as a player, as an assistant coach last year, now as the head coach. Uh, your thoughts as we uh, head towards Tampa? Uh, we're excited about the opportunity. It's good to get a couple days here to rest and recover and uh, start the prep, but um, excited to be there and uh, looking forward to a great event. We uh, are going to use the raise hand function uh, as part of uh, the webinar. I think you're all familiar with it, so... You raise your hand if you'd please identify yourself in affiliation uh, each time. That would be helpful, too. And we will start with Ryan Clark. Clarky, welcome. Go ahead. Hey, Fish. Uh, Brandon, my name is Ryan Clark with ESPN. I had two questions for you, both about Luke Hughes. The first is, when you look at his development, what would you say has been the biggest area of growth from year one to year two? And then the second part of this is, when you look at young defensemen, these first-rounders who come out of college after two years, what does Luke share in terms of similarities or what maybe what makes him different? I would say, like, Luke's grown a ton. I, I, I think first and foremost as a leader, we all know what he can do with the puck. Uh, even from his, like, the first half of his freshman year until now, Luke's always been um, unbelievable just with his physical skills of uh, – of being reactionary in, in regards to breaking uh, other individual players down. I think he has more of a plan um, with what he's doing now and like reading cues and instead of just seeing what happens and, and making the decision, he, he's got a plan in place to bait a guy left to go right, if that makes sense. Um, and then just his overall defending, he's always been a good defender I think he's becoming an elite defender and using his physical attributes like his skating just to close time and space and kill plays uh, as quickly as possible. Can you repeat the second question for me one more time, Ryan? Sure. And the second question was, when you look at a lot of these defensemen, like let's say a, a Zach Wierenski, Kale McCart, some guy named Quinn Hughes you've probably never heard of, in all seriousness, when you look at those players, it seems like those two guys within two years, you know what makes them legit. When you look at Luke, what are maybe some of the similarities that he shares with guys like that? Or is he just kind of a different sort of person altogether in terms of what he's done within two years at Michigan? I think uh, I've worked with both Quinn and, and Zach Wierenski for years. And I, uh, 
I would say similarities, like just like their overall hockey IQ, like how they drive uh, play through possession. I'd say the difference with Luke is, and not that Zach and uh, and Quinn don't do this, but just his ability to break people down one on one, like I like he beats people one on one at the offensive blue line. Uh, a lot of coaches wouldn't like this kind of stuff when you're not supposed to, and uh, you know, like these young prospects, it's like ah, it works in college or. You know, will it work in the NHL? Talking to both Quinn and Zach about Luke, I think they believe it's going to work at the NHL level too. And like every young prospect, Luke will, Luke will have success and he'll learn along the way, but he's going to be an elite player for a long time. Hey, Brandon, this is uh, Noel Bianchi with the Detroit News. Uh, I'm just curious, you know, after going through the run last year as an assistant and now reaching the Frozen Four this year, what are some constants that you've come to know about winning at this time of year? Is it a certain type of team or style that has success or what is just the difference maker in these types of games? I think it's just playing your best hockey at the right time. Obviously everyone's going to be up for the games. Um, One thing I told the guys at the beginning of the year, and I think it still rings true is that it's not the most talented teams that win at the end. It's the teams that play together. It's the teams that are the closest. And uh, we've got a really tight team. I, I would say for us, um, you know, we've had this business approach going into the playoffs this year and, and what we do on the road. And I would tell them to have fun, you know, don't put too much stress on on yourselves. Uh, enjoy the ride, enjoy the process and let's just make the most of the opportunity, but uh, we're going to keep it light. We'll be prepared. Our routine will be consistent, um, but just enjoy the ride. That'd be my advice to the guys. And uh, next up, let's go over to Mike Morial. Mike, welcome. Brandon, knowing, knowing the amount of work you put into this, I would think you've aspired to meet, you know, any challenge you face as a head coach this season head on. So that said, what what has been your biggest challenge as a head coach this season in reaching this point? I think my biggest challenge just to like is that everything's new um, and you've got to figure a lot of things out and problem solve on the fly. I think it's important to surround yourself with the right people that have some more institutional knowledge or ask for help. Um but in general, it'd be like any professional, uh, if you're a real estate agent, I just, you know, it's, you're switching companies or you have a similar type of role, um, in the, in the same marketplace. Uh, so I feel comfortable in what I'm doing. You know, it's, it's just the first time I would say I, I haven't, uh, I haven't failed at everything yet to have learned from it, if that makes sense. So, uh, just everything being the first time would be the biggest challenge. And we're just figuring it out as we go. Hi, it's Paula Weston from U.S. College Hockey Online. Hello, gentlemen. Hey, Brandon, my question is about last weekend. You played two very different games, um, both from my perspective, entertaining in, you know, in very different ways. Uh, what is it that your team can take from those two different kinds of games into the first? What have you learned from that? Yeah, I would say uh, after the 11 to 1 win over Colgate, we just tried to, re- you know, hey, great job and let's refocus. We have the job to do a couple nights later. Uh, we played a really good, very well coached Penn State team. And, and I thought you're never going to play a perfect game, but I thought we played really, really good hockey, hockey that would have put us in a position to be up three or four goals uh, halfway through the game. And they had some great goaltending and they made a push as well. I think we've built some more confidence in our team that uh, that we can win tight games. And when it doesn't go in the back of the net to just continue to stick to the process, um, so just gaining more confidence that whether it's two to one or seven to six, 
and there's a lot of penalties or very few, uh, we can play any style of game. Randy Johnson in the Twin Cities. Randy, welcome. Glad to have you. Yeah, hi, Brandon. Um, Randy Johnson, Minneapolis Star Tribune. Uh, just looking at the week off between the extra week off between the, the regionals and the frozen four, what do you do to make that to your advantage? And is it a situation? Would you rather be playing right away? I'm okay with the week off. I'm okay playing right away. Uh, I think it allows guys to rest up a little bit, recover the body, and then uh, just get the feel back. Like we'll probably do a lot of, we'll focus on a lot of tactics and, and just overall skill development this week. And then we'll get back into the normal routine. I, I want these guys to continue to feel good. I want them to enjoy coming to the rink every day, feel like they're getting better and, and just having fun with uh, being with their teammates. So that'd probably be the plan going into, into the break. Hi, Fish. And uh, hi, Brandon. Jess Myers from the Rink Live. Uh, I wanted to ask you, you played in a Frozen Four and uh, you were an assistant coach last year. What, what do you draw on from those experiences? And, you know, what are your memories, I guess, as a, as a Frozen Four player, as a, as a Frozen Four assistant coach that you'll uh, take into this year? Yeah, I just, I, just, uh, I would say, Jess, the, the momentum shifts in the game, uh, the Big Ten tournament, uh, the NCAA regionals, and, the, and then uh, especially the Frozen Four. There's so like we were down uh, two nothing to Notre Dame. We end up coming back. We lose in overtime. Last year, Denver scores the first goal. It's kind of back and forth. Uh, you know, they get one, we get one, and then you go to overtime again. Um, you never know what's going to happen. You might have to kill a five minute major early in the game. You might be up two. You might be down two. Uh, I think you just have to keep sticking to the process, but uh, keeping the bench energy up and and just being even keel because. The momentum shifts, they come in waves, and uh, it's something that you can't control. What you can control is is how you how you um, how you act going forward. So that that's what I would say. The momentum shifts in the game. That's what I took from them. Yeah, hi Brandon, <clears throat> Tony Garcia here from the Detroit Free Press. Uh, just curious, last year uh, was I, I imagine maybe perceived as one of the most talented teams that that Michigan ha- has ever had. This year, maybe on paper, not the same way. Yet here you are. At the same spot, I guess. What was obviously still extremely talented, not selling anything short, but just what was the, how did you sort of keep things going? And does this speak to just Michigan hockey, the brand and where things are that I, I don't know the exact phrase you've used, but sort of implied that this might be somewhat of a retooling, reculturing things after everything that's happened the, the past 12 months now under your tutelage? How, what does this say about Michigan hockey and, and to, to be back here? I mean, that, that, that's been the goal. Like, I think Michigan as a university sells itself. Uh, it's great to get talented players. We want the right type of player and, uh, not all talented players or NHL draft picks or first rounders are doing what our kids are doing. They're getting better. There's first round draft picks that are graduating from college and not signing after two years. There's first round draft picks in the NCAA with only five goals. So just because you have talent doesn't mean that you have success as a team or individually. Um, and that's a credit to our kids. That's not about me. That's a credit to our culture. Um, and these guys just want to do it for, for their teammates, for Michigan, and, and that kids are getting better every single day. And that doesn't mean just skills. That means they're becoming better people on and off the ice. Brandon, Eric Vigo, go for puck live. The Big Ten and so many teams in this Frozen Four have so many young, talented players is there anything intentional you do to help them along through the ups and downs of the season to get the most of them at this part of the year? 
Yeah, every everything we do from week one, Eric, to uh, to now is all about player development and player first focus. Um, it's constant communication and building relationships and trust with these kids, so that when we are delivering a message, uh, they understand it comes from the heart, whether it's positive or a teaching uh, a teaching moment. Um, but everything we do is about about these kids and you know their heart, their mind, and their bodies. Is there anything unique about this group that has made them so successful in that they're journey? Super, they're super, super tight. Uh, and I think we, you know, our senior class and our leadership group has done an unbelievable job of uh, bringing this group together from day one and gaining the trust and respect of the freshmen and vice versa. And then we've got a lot of freshman leaders now and future captains uh, in this class, like a lot. Um, so I forget that quote, but you gotta, you gotta lead or follow before you lead. We've got a lot of leaders learning to follow at a young age and, uh, it's been awesome. Hey, Nara Connor with Michigan daily. Um, we've talked all season about how strong the, the big 10 is this year. Uh, obviously in the history of the conference, there are no national champions from the big 10. So I guess, what does it take for a, a big 10 team, either you or Minnesota to, to win it all this year? Yeah, I don't think it's one thing. Uh, what would it take? It would take winning the game. Um, I don't think it's one thing, Connor. I think that uh, the Big Ten is so deep this year from one through seven that it's prepared teams like us in Minnesota to play in tough games every night. And uh, they're going to get even tougher in the Frozen Four, but you hope through uh, some experience of, of success and failure throughout the regular season and playoffs that uh, you know we've, we've experienced enough to, to be ready uh, to do something going into this event. Sam Stockton, Gula Gula Hockey. Uh, Brandon, I was curious, uh, something that I think has been striking throughout the postseason has been this team's confidence at navigating all sorts of different situations. Uh, I think Mackie Samuskevich said after the game on Sunday, there was never a doubt in his mind that you all were going to win, even trailing going into that third period. From your perspective, where does that confidence come from? I think I, I think the confidence comes from how tight the group is. We've had some success, but just the preparation every day, like everybody works hard. Um, but what we're doing every day in our way, they believe that that prepares them to give them a chance. And when you believe that you can do it and have a chance, that's confidence. We appreciate your time. Look forward to seeing you in Tampa. Best of luck. And uh, we'll see you next week. Yep. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great day. Look at this. We have the head coach of the Bobcats here with us now. I see, I see him on there. Quinnipiac. 14 of the last 15, they have won. Rand in his 29th season, back in the Frozen Four for the third time, and 2-0 and in the semifinals. Coach, uh, congratulations on the great success and your thoughts as we head towards Tampa. And no, a familiar spot for you, too, as well. Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, we're, we're excited to go back. Um, you know, really proud of our group and, and how we kind of battled through. Um, I thought we had a tough bracket with, you know, with Merrimack, Harvard, and Ohio State. Really good teams. Um, I'm just proud of our our effort. I thought the commitment was excellent. Uh, obviously, Yanni played great both both games, and you know we're excited to uh, go back to Tampa, go to the Frozen Four, and and love the challenge of, of playing Michigan. Rand Ryan Clark, ESPN. Just a quick question for you. I mean, yes, it's all about matchups and whatnot, but when you look at a guy like Luke Hughes, maybe what stands out about a guy like him when you're looking at him in film, and maybe what makes him different than let's say the average college defenseman. Well, he's, you know, he's an elite player. Um, honestly, he probably doesn't need to be in college this year. He can, uh, he could already be in the NHL. Um, I'm glad he did play, you know, cause I had him at, he was my captain for the world juniors. And, um, you know, I always say about Luke, I, I as good a player as he is, I think he's a better person, uh, just a phenomenal athlete, phenomenal person. 
And he's got that elusiveness uh, that you can't teach. Like you just, you can't, you can't teach what he does. So we're going to have to defend him in waves and know he's going to make plays and stuff. And I think the big thing with, with any of the high end kids with Michigan is we got, we got to make them defend. We got to make them, you know, spend some time in their D zone. All right. Thanks, Ryan. And uh, as Rand alluded to, I think you all know it. Rand coached our uh, team and the world juniors to a bronze medal this year and has seen many of the players in the field up close and in person. Uh, next over to Mike Morial. Mike. So, Ryan, I'm sure, sure you're well aware, just as Fish mentioned there, 20% of the U.S. roster you coached at World Juniors will be looking to get the best of you in a few days, the five Michigan players. So my question is, uh, who benefits more from that, coach or players? That's a great question. Uh, you know, my, my daughter, last night, my, my 16-year-old daughter was, was very worried that they'd know our plays and that we, <laughs> that we had to have some new, new things up our sleeves. So, uh, you know, in the end, you still gotta, you still gotta play the game. I, I think they do know kind of a little bit how we, how we want to play. But I mean, you know, Michigan, you know, their coaches are going to figure it out too. In the end, you gotta, you gotta make plays. You gotta stay out of the penalty box and you, you gotta get goaltending. So, um, you know, those are, to me, those are three of the biggest things. Hey, coach Dan Rubin from U.S. College Hockey Online. Um, this is your, I know this is your third trip, uh, to the Frozen Four. What kind of has stood out with this team that, that's gotten you to the Frozen Four? And not only that, but what stood out with this team in comparison to the teams that maybe couldn't get over the hump to get into the Frozen Four? Yeah. Yeah. We, this was our, I think our third Elite Eight in the last five years. So, you know, I just think, uh, a little bit of his matchups. I mean, I didn't, I didn't love, I thought we were in a tough bracket, but. You know, like last year, um, you know, was even was even harder. Michigan was the number one team in the country at that point. You know, they had that that juggernaut with all that talent. So, um, and then the previous time, I think it was Duluth who ended up winning it. They were great. Um, I think I just think it's hard to get to the Frozen Four. You know, there's not uh, there's not a lot of teams that have done it. Like in the last eleven years, we've gone three times. I think that we're only the sixth team that has done that. So it's just it's not easy to get there. It's not easy to get back. It's really hard. You got to have a lot of things go your way. Um, you have to have the goaltending. You got to score some timely goals. Uh, but to me, this group compared to my other two frozen four teams, there's just, there's more similarities than, than, than differences, you know, it's, and I think it's really about our culture, just a great group of guys that are willing to be selfless and willing to buy into what we need to do to be successful against, um, you know, teams that, that probably are going to have more talent than us. Hey, Coach. Uh, my name is Mike Cronin. I'm with WMUR in New Hampshire. Just uh, wondering, you you have support from all different corners of the country, but just wondering for you personally what it means to you to have the support of your hometown in Bedford, New Hampshire. Yeah, I'm actually I'm trying to get up to Tilton, New Hampshire. Today. I see my mom just quickly uh, before we get going with all this. But um, yeah, I, you know, I love it. Obviously, I'm from, I'm from Bedford, went to Manchester West. Um, you know, excited to have uh, anyone on board with Bobcat Nation, but certainly we've got a lot of fans in the New Hampshire area. Connor, your mic is open. Please go ahead. Quick question about about Michigan. You mentioned the the loss last season. Obviously, it's a new coach, a lot of new players. Do you even use film or any uh, lessons you might have learned from last year's loss when you're kind of game planning for for this upcoming matchup, or is that kind of a non factor? No, no. I think there's some things we did really well last year against Michigan. Um, you know, we we actually played. You know played pretty well at times in that game. We just, we had a little slow start and needed to probably defend a little bit better and they made some high end plays. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely things from last year. I mean, Narado is a new coach, but he was an assistant on last year's staff. I don't think they've changed a ton with this year's team. And in the end, they still have, you know, what they're best at is, you know, high end players. I mean, Fantelli replaces, you know, the other guys that left for the NHL. Like he's, he's maybe the best player in college hockey. Luke Hughes is, you know, if, if Fantelli isn't, Luke Hughes probably is. So, you know, we know we need to be able to defend in waves. And and as I said earlier, we got we got to make them play defense. 
Thank you, uh, Patrick Donnelly from NCAA.com. Rand, just on Colin Graff, you know, tremendous season, but maybe not the most heralded guy coming out of Junior Bruins, NCDC, and solid freshman year at Union. But for you in your eyes, what sort of has helped him in this breakout year to really set himself apart? Yeah, great question. He's definitely popped this year. I think a couple of things happened. Uh, one of the things when he committed to us was, you know, I wanted to make sure he came in and came over the summer and spent some time with it, with, with, with his teammates and got acclimated in our weight program and our culture. And, you know, he's worked on his skating. It's improved. I think the biggest thing that, that Colin has done this year is really worked at his defensive side of the game. He's become a much better defensive hockey player. And when you do that and you hunt pucks better, you get to play more offense. And I think it just, he's got a lot of confidence right now. He's, you know, he's obviously a, one of the best players in the country and we, we feel really fortunate to have him. Yeah, talk about Randy Yanni Peretz. What, what what makes him so successful? I mean, obviously he might be a little underrated because he doesn't see many shots, but uh, what makes him so successful? Is it all positioning? Because it seems like his positioning is flawless. Yeah, I don't understand why he's underrated. I hear that a lot. I mean, if you look at his his record is yeah. ridiculous over the last two years. Uh, save percentage, shutouts, wins. So I don't I don't know why people would underrate him. Um, he, he's just outstanding. Like he he's committed to his craft. Um, he works on it every day. Um, uh, he was doing something last week with this thing. I don't even, I can't even explain it probably. <laughs> I don't even know what he was doing out there with some contraption trying to get his, get his arms set a little bit better, but he's just so committed. He's worked on his puck handling. Uh, he tracks the puck. Well, he battles, he competes and just has really, I, I think elite goalie IQ. That's probably the thing that he does best. He just really reads the play well and understands, you know, where the, where the scoring chances are going to come from, where the, where's the one T threat, where's the tip in threat. Um, controls his rebounds. He's just a well-rounded goalie and a, and, a, and a highly competitive elite athlete. Great. Thank you, Josh. Uh, Ryan, how are things at MLive? Welcome. Thanks, Dave. Uh, good as always. So uh, real quick, Grant, just kind of want to see if you could kind of describe Michigan's top line of, of Fantilli, Brindley, and, and McGordy and, and what makes them so challenging to to defend. Um, just, you know, high-end high end NHL talent. I mean, they're not just going to be NHL players. They're going to be high-end NHL players. Um, they make plays at pace. They can all skate, um, and they and they think the game so well. And they just – a lot of times they make something out of nothing. And, um, you know, again, as I said earlier, we got to defend them in layers and uh, make sure that we're aware. You know, we, we are going to get guys that are going to get beat one-on-one from time to time, and then we got to have a second layer there, and sometimes we got to have a third layer there. So I, I think it's important for us. Which is how we always play. You know, we got to play Harvard. We got to play other good teams. We played North Dakota this year. We play other good players, you know, Reese Gaber and players like that. And you got to defend those guys with more than one player. And I think that's, that's how we're going to have to do that against, against that Michigan top line. Rand, what do you remember about Tampa the last time? Uh, it was great. It was a great experience. Um, obviously we came up a little bit short, but uh, I thought that Boston College win for us in the semifinal was, maybe one of the best wins for Quinnipiac ever. Um, you know, they were loaded. They, I think they had 16, 17 draft picks. They had first and second rounders, Demko and net. I, nobody gave us a chance to win that game. No one other than the, the boys in our locker room. So that was, a, that was a huge win. And, a, and a, I think a benchmark for, uh, for Quinnipiac's program. Awesome. All right. Well, we are at the end of our time for coach Pegnold and uh, Rand. Thanks very much. Wish you the best of luck. We look forward to seeing you in Tampa. All right. Thanks fish. We are waiting for coach Motsko be with us shortly here and um there he is Mats. welcome congratulations another frozen four no stranger in your career uh your thoughts uh as we head towards tampa yeah sorry about a little technical difficulty that it was all on my fault yeah there's no question that we're an excited group and 
I mean, you first have to how hard it is to 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 get through these things, and and live. I've lived this. I've lived this for so long, and and you got to be lucky, and you got to be good, and things go your way, and um, you can't take it for granted. And how fortunate we are that we're able to pop our way through uh, the Fargo Regional, and, um, and the fact it's we've had such a horrible winter here in Minnesota. I think there are going to be a whole lot of people heading south. Uh, to get to to get to Tampa, from what I'm understanding, it's it's going to be crazy. So we are excited, Dave. Coach, I just wanted to uh, get your thoughts on the matchup against BU and just some of the points of focus that you you guys are going to have this week in practice and next week. Well, I mean, I'm going to be real honest that we're you're catching us when we're coming back. We're we're digging into BU right now. So specifics. I mean, 29 wins. Uh, defenseman that's just been outstanding that's led the you know leading scorer on their team first year coach it's just done a terrific job you know you know they're loaded with talent and and um and they're on a you know they're on a hot streak right now too so we're going to dig into them all week as we're going through and and put our game plan together you know as, as we move through the week but right now it's been like a little bit of rest and recovery um, we gave him Monday off, and, and we're just go, we're just actually getting back at it today and, and get this thing going. All right, great. Talk, referring to Sneaky, we had uh, Lane Hudson on the national junior team, and of course you have uh, Logan Cooley, and those two kids are good friends, and they coined nicknames for each other, Sneaky and Squeaky. So we're going to see that match up, I guess, in Tampa. All right, Mr. Morial, over to you. Welcome back. Thanks, Fish. Mike Morion, HL.com. Good morning, Coach. Uh, so, so Bob, you, you always hear of how difficult it is for freshmen in their NCAA, for, you know, first year NCAAs. I'm just curious to get your thoughts on why you feel five of the top 10 NCAA point producers this season happen to be freshmen. Uh, I know there are two from your club. Is it an anomaly, Bob, or do you see a trend? Is it the work or coaching leading up to the coaching level, uh, college level, excuse me? What do you think? Well, first, Mike, good to good to hear your voice, pal. Um, they're terrific players. Number one, I mean, the, these are are special, special players. You know, Cooley, Snuggerud, Fantilli, Hudson. Like, you know, and, and I know there are more out there. These freshmen that have just had terrific seasons and track records of that. Um, there's a path for freshmen to be good in college hockey. It's always been there. This might be just one of those hot years. Um, where it's there. And, um, I, I, I don't know if I dig into it as much, uh, you know, as the question, the question you ask why. I'm just darn glad we have a couple of them here, <laughs> to, to be honest with you. But the, you know, we'll get into it, but the key to our team is still our older guys that, that, that are back with us. Um, but they are sure good players, you know, and we've seen enough clips of all these guys throughout the whole season there there that's a special group hi bob chris peters full sports um my question goes back to the freshman uh you know particularly logan cooley i mean you know here's here's a guy who comes from out of state uh and obviously one of the elite players of of college hockey but i i mean you look at the way that he kind of can take over games um that's what we don't necessarily see a whole lot what have you seen in terms of his development and his his ability to continue to elevate especially at this late stage of the season logan you know and i, I put snuggerud in the same category but logan the his skating ability is elite his skill is elite and that that alone sets him apart but the the 
the greatest skill factor in him is his compete level. I mean, he is an ornery, tough competitor. Uh, you know, and I, I know I've said it a few times in the last week when you keep playing that, that I'd rather, you know, any coach could tell you you'd rather put a fire out than start one. And we've got to put fires out with him. And that's what's great about him. Um, you know, the more he gets into it, the more he gets his blood going. He and he, you know, he we tell him, you know, you can go to the edge, but don't cross the edge, you know, when in his feistiness, you know, let it come out in your talent. And he's really developed in that. I he took a major penalty early in the year at Michigan, uh, you know, and it was a pretty heated, you know, series, obviously. And it kind of, I, I, I think. I'm just guessing this. He and I really haven't, but, you know, sitting out and he got suspended uh, a game uh, for it. And you know what? I, I think he didn't like sitting out. And it, it said, you know what? I got to learn a lesson here. I, I have to keep my energy in, in, in focus and in check and just keep it in the hockey. And I, I think that was a great learning moment for him. Uh, and, he just continually gets better. He continually wants the puck in big moments and he's not afraid of any, any moment. And, um, and with all that, he doesn't even shave yet. That's what's crazy. He is just a young, young fireball that, that is so fun. All right. Let's go to someone that is into shaving right now. Randy Johnson, Randy, welcome. I don't know if I can, uh, that's that transition there. Uh, Bob, you you uh, coached uh, Thomas Vanek as as a freshman and and in juniors. Uh, do you see any parallels between him and and Logan Cooley? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're you know you know different types of players. Th- Thomas natural score. I mean, Thomas if Thomas played today, he'd still score. Uh, he's been off for a while. He just has that ability. To, you know, he loves to be in front of the net. He he he. Um, Logan's a driver. Um, Logan's a true center. He's gotten so much better in the defensive zone in all areas of his game. Um, but the fact I always remember one thing with Thomas and with Logan, when they get the puck, the whole rink freezes. The other team, coaches, players, and the fans, there, there's a pause and everyone waits to see what's going to happen when the great ones get it. And I saw Thomas had that when I was coaching him when he was 15 and 16 years old down in Sioux Falls. He brought it here to Minnesota and, and now being around Logan this year, the same thing. We all, our, our team and our fans and I think opposing teams, they wait to see what's going to happen. There's a pause just for a second and then you wait for it again. And that's just that it factor that players like that have. Jess Myers from the Rink Live. Just wanted to ask about your two previous trips to the Frozen Four as a head coach in 2013 and last year, and just kind of what lessons you take from those. You know, you, I, I know you're always uh, learning and growing, and, and wh- what did you learn from those two previous trips? Well, I don't like losing the first game. I can tell you that. <laughs> you know, there's nothing worse than having to get on a plane and leave. Uh, um you know, I think I, I'm just, I'm just going to say, I think there's an experience. Sometimes I think programs have to, you know, the, thank goodness we're pot, you know, we're, we're, we punched our ticket to get back again because we have guys that have been there. Um, you know, we scored the first goal last year, then we never really got off again. And, and maybe it's, you know, I mean, it is, there is so much pageantry going on this week and we've got older guys that can help guide that, you know, 
every family member's going down. I mean, it, it, you have to embrace it, but you got to keep your focus on what's in front of you. And, and hopefully there's a lesson from our guys from a year ago that, you know, um, you know, just how to stay in the moment that they can, you know, lead, you know, lend some leadership down to our young guys, you know, you know, once the parents all have their tickets and their hotels and their travel plans, yes, we're going to, you know, I want to, I want them to enjoy and embrace every moment, but there has to be a time where you shut it all off and it's back to hockey and it's back to the task at hand. And my hope right now is that we have enough leadership that, that lived that last year and, and can take the next step. Bob, Eric Vigo, go for puck live. You've been progressing with this program the last couple of years. You know, you had a team that was ready to go to Penn State and COVID knocked it out. You had a team that goes to the Frozen Four last year. You're back again. Are there any specifics you see out of your players that are different, how they handle the, the pressure and the situation right now at this time of the year? I, I mean, I I don't, I, I don't, Eric, I can't answer that in a, like, I thought we were ready last year. We had some injuries last year that, that, that affected us, you know, and, and we've got one right now too, that, that we'll, you know, we'll see how the week progresses because it, it, and they, you know, because boy, when you get down to the end, you are playing, you know, uh, you're playing, we're playing a team with 29 wins in Boston university, you know, and it is, it is going to be a, a tug of war match and you want to have all hands on deck. I, I just love our leadership. I love our talent. We're in a great spot. We just got to get after it and, and get on there and play our game. And, and, um, like I, I think maybe, like I said, the lesson learned last year is maybe there were some distractions that, that got into us. I, you don't ever want to overanalyze it. Give Mankato a ton of credit a year ago. Um, but this is a new year and new group and, um, we're in a good spot. That's Eric. We're in a good spot. I can't wait to play. And I'm really happy we got the first game. Bob, uh, congratulations. We look forward to seeing you in Tampa. Thanks for the time today. Safe travels. Okay. Thanks, Fish. Good to see you, pal. All right. That's Bob Moscow, Dave Fisher here at USA Hockey Headquarters in Colorado Springs. Look forward to joining everybody in Tampa. And we welcome in, you talking of success, holy caramba, the first-year head coach of the BU Terriers. He won a couple of Stanley Cup titles with the New Jersey Devils back in the day a while ago. Uh, when he was a player at BU in the Frozen Four all four years, that's remarkable in and of itself, including in 96 when the ice melted in Cincinnati. Jay, you remember that? Yeah, that's, that's not a fun memory. That we, we didn't play great in that first game against Michigan. Uh, give them credit. They were a heck of a team. But, um, yeah, that was a we – didn't, we didn't bounce back from waiting for a while to play. We certainly well, didn't play. year before you won the national title and hearkening over that roster uh, – Interesting, uh, some high-profile people in the National Hockey League, a couple of NHL GMs and head coach, obviously all the success you've had there. Congratulations on leading the Terriers back to the Frozen Four, uh, a chance for a sixth national title, first time since 2015 we'll see BU in the Frozen Four. Great to have the Terriers back and your thoughts as we head into Tampa. Yeah, we're, um, you know, we're really looking forward to it. Uh, I'm really, really happy and proud of our team. Um the, the way they've come into this year, um, you know, the leadership group we have, we have a, we have a great mix of uh, veteran players and, and, you know, clearly, clearly we have a great group of young players and they've come together and they've worked together and we found our game, you know, again, in the last uh, month or so. So I'm really proud of them. We went through a little bit of a stretch there in mid February. We weren't at our best. And 
you know, we've come out the other side. Um, you know, our, one of our team goal at the beginning of the year was uh, to, to get to the Frozen Four and, and see what happens there. And, and I give our guys a ton of credit. It's been a lot of fun coaching these guys. And, and like I said, I'm really proud of them. Uh, Chris Peters from Flow Sports. First year head coach, and you've got probably one of the best freshmen in the country in Lane Hudson. Um, you know, what have you seen about his growth? What has impressed you most about his game? And maybe what are some of the things that that we might not notice about him beyond the points? I, I think his, um, you know, number one, he's had one of the best uh, freshman seasons ever for a defenseman. Um, the one thing that stands out every day is, is his competitiveness. Um, you know, but not just offensively. I think we all see that, but how hard he competes defensively and how he's grown his game defensively. I thought the start of the year, you know, he had to learn a little bit. Like his gaps weren't great. He didn't close quick enough defensively. His stick maybe wasn't great. He's improved in all those areas, and he, he's the type of player and the type of kid and type of competitor that he's trying to get better every single time he steps on the ice every day. He, he does a lot of video work. Uh, he cares so much uh, about winning. Um, you know, he, he has, you know, some incredible individual accomplishments this year, but at the end of the day, the kid just wants to win. So um, I've been so impressed with that. Uh, with Lane. I guess how important has the presence of Quinn been for his brother Lane this season? And, and would you happen to have any examples to share that maybe you witnessed during the course of the season? I think that, you know, you can tell that, you know, they're really close. I think it's, you know, it's always special to be able to play uh, with your older brother. And I think, you know, Quinn looks out for him. You know, Quinn's a competitive uh, kid as well. You know, we've had some incidents this year on the ice where we try to keep those two away from each other. Um, it's, you know, I can see those two, I'm sure, when they were younger going at it. Um, but they're very competitive. And, um, you know, they push each other. They care about each other. So I think it's been special for, for those two guys to have an opportunity to, to play together. And, you know, clearly you know, both of them have had, had a ton of success as freshmen, and it's really nice to see. Hi, Jay. Sam Sargent from Gulo Gulo Hockey. Um, I'm curious with being a first-year head coach, uh, what it takes to sort of build your program in a long-term sense toward the future while also being, you know, Hyper competitive in the present and good enough to make it to the Frozen Four in year one. Yeah, I think you're always, um, you know, for me, like taking over uh, this job, um, I tried to look back at, at my experience at BU and I tried, want to try to get the culture right that I felt it was like when I was here, just the competitiveness of the players, uh, the team first mentality. Um, all these little things that you want to continue to grow. And I think the other part of it is, is I think BU and, you know, a lot of these schools, um, you've had kids that are maybe only here one or two years. I think it's tough to, to build a program that way. And I think it was important this year for, you know, we have, we have 11 seniors. I think that's unheard of at BU. So that's part of it. And hopefully that continues moving forward, that guys um, aren't in such a rush to, to move on. And, you know, there's certain players where, listen, they're, they're ready and, and they have nothing else to prove to college level. And, you know, it's time for them to go, it's time for them to go. But I think for the most part, you, you have to have guys that want to stay and try to build the culture and, and keep the program and the tradition going. Thanks, Fish, and thanks, Jay. Uh, I wanted to get just a two-part question. It's Jess Myers from The Rink Live in Minnesota. Number one, uh, any scouting report on the Gophers? I know it's early, but have you looked at, at them much? And then my other question, going back to uh, your time as a player, twice, uh, you know, some great games, obviously, 
in history between BU and Minnesota in the Frozen Four, but twice uh, you ended Minnesota's season, uh, once in St. Paul, once in Providence. Just uh, your memories of that as a player. Yeah, um, yeah, I've watched them this year over the course of the year this year. Uh, Minnesota, they're a heck of a team. Obviously, high-powered offense. Um, I don't think we want to get into a track meet with them, the, the, the way they um, play in transition. And, um, you know, we certainly have to be aware of uh, the top line they have, but they have a ton of depth below that as well. Uh, their decor is excellent. So, you know, we know they're a great team. There's a reason they've been number one in the country all year long. Um, yeah, the memories from playing them in the past, I, I think, you know, I, I know the, the BU-Minnesota rivalry in the 70s was huge, and I know a lot of those guys played together in the 80 Olympic team. Um, but I don't remember the, it being a huge rival with us in the when I played. I, I, you know, I was fortunate to be on the right side of a couple of games against them. Uh, but I don't remember it being a huge rivalry. But it is uh, two incredible programs, uh, tradition, and it should be a lot of fun. Thank you, uh, Patrick Donnelly, NCAA.com. Uh, Jay, two for you. One on Drew. Felt like he's maybe had some ups and downs, especially establishing consistency in the goal his first couple of years, but feels like he's playing his best hockey of his career so far these last few weeks. Uh, what have you seen from him taking that step? Yeah, Drew, um, there's no question, like, through the over the course of the season, um, you know, he wasn't as consistent as he'd like to be. Um, it's something that he's kind of addressed. Uh, him and I have talked about it. Um, but you know, the last month he's been, he's been excellent. Um, and I think it's about that consistency. He, he seems very calm in the net. He seems confident. He has a bit of swagger to, to his game. And I think goaltenders need that, you know, they, they have to have a little bit of that. And he's shown that and we're, we're happy, uh, the way he's playing right now. He's been a big reason we're at, uh, where we're at right now. And uh, I'm really proud of him, the way he's handling it and how he's built his game over the course of the year. And then one more for you, um, obviously. Drafted guys like Lane get a lot of the headlines, but Skoog and Brown have obviously had career seasons. What have you seen from them to set themselves apart, especially with potential undrafted contracts coming up? Yeah, both both those guys came back uh, motivated to to have really good seasons. They um, their preparation um, in the summertime um, you know, was to come back and have great years and prepare themselves to do that. And they both them a lot of credit, not just for their own individual accomplishments either. They they wanted to come back and have a chance to win so that's a bigger part and those two guys have had tremendous years screw got off to a little bit of a slow start because he had an injury in the summer um that he was getting over but once he started feeling healthy and got his legs under him he's, he's had a tremendous second half and matt brown you know he's been our you know argue that best forward all year long um, so give him a lot of credit you know those guys have been dangerous hi coach uh, james garrison boston hockey blog i'm just wondering um you know you obviously went to a lot of frozen fours as a player what type of advice would you give to to the players? Well, not, number one is I think they should be proud of the accomplishment and, and they should enjoy it, uh, but also understand that it, it's a it's a very difficult tournament to win. Um, I was for, very fortunate to to be able to participate in four of them as a player, but we only won one. Like that's that tells you how hard it is, and we had some really good teams, but you know the margin for error in each game is slim, so you have to make sure you're. You're, you're dialed in and you're ready to play the right way and, and you have to limit your mistakes. And the biggest thing is you, you really can't be yourself. Uh, I think that's the most important thing. But, you know, our guys, we've, we've been through, you know, um, some tough games recently. So hopefully that helps us uh, going into this tournament. Yeah, Andrew Mahoney from the Boston Globe. 
Jay, as I was making my way Saturday night after the game down to the bowels of the arena, I was walking along with, with Jack Parker. And, and so I just wanted to ask what that moment was like when he made his way into the locker room. And um, you already referenced from alums, but um, have you heard from teammates, from your teammates at BU and just the, um, just the reaction around campus? Yeah, um, yeah, it was special to to see Coach uh, come in the come in the room after the game and and congratulate uh, myself and the team and the coaching staff. It meant a lot to all of us. Uh, you know, we know what what he did for this program for for forty years. And um, yeah, former players. Um, there's a bunch uh, going down to Tampa, so they're all excited. The support they've given it is um, it's been incredible. They're really excited to go down. Um, yeah, the, the support around the school, like I said, has been has been tremendous. Um, you know, it's been a lot of fun. I think, people, like I said, people are excited. Like this is, um, I think, you know, for BU hockey, this is kind of the expectations at times. I know they're high expectations, but that's what you want, uh, especially with a program like this. Appreciate it, Gracie. How are you? Welcome. Uh, hi, Coach. Um, you guys have already played in an NHL rank four times this year, six times counting mullet. Um, how much does that prepare you to play at Amelie? And then how do you make sure the spectacle of the whole weekend doesn't get in the way of the play? Yeah, we're used to playing. I mean, we played at the Garden four times. So um, I think our guys are used to that environment. I mean, the bean pot alone, I know it's a mid-year tournament, but, you know, you're playing in front of, you know, 17,000 people. I think our guys have experienced that. I think it helps uh, going into a tournament like this. Um, so, you know, we're, we're excited about it. I know our guys are ready for it. And, and I think, you know, yeah, it's it's a pressure situation uh, we're going into, but I think our guys have done a good job of you know kind of handling each moment, and that's the same mindset we're going to have going into this. Just just enjoy it. Um, you know, you can't look too far ahead. Just worry about your first shift. Worry about having fun. Hi, Coach Caroline Fernandez, Boston Hockey Blog. Um, Wilmer Scoot didn't play much of the third period against Cornell. Fensori hasn't been a hundred, and Nick Zabnay obviously was out during the hockey's championships. Um, what do you anticipate their availability to look like in Tampa? Uh, well, the good thing is we have, um, you know, 10 days before we play. Um, not sure, um, if Zabonet will be back or not. Um, you know, this time of year, I think all teams are dealing with little injuries here and there. And I think most of the time players are going to try to do whatever they can to play. So we won't know what our lineup looks like probably, you know, almost right up until, um, next Thursday. So. I anticipate some guys are going to get healthier over the course of the next 10 days. And, you know, I'm not exactly positive on Zabonet yet, but he's going to try to do everything he can to play. And, you know, we'll see how it uh, plays out. Uh, thank you, uh, Coach. I just wanted to ask, one of these big storylines of just this whole tournament has kind of been how stacked and loaded the Big Ten is. And you've seen kind of seen how they've performed throughout the tournament. And now, you know, the only time you guys, you know, matched up against a Big Ten team this year was when you played – you know, Michigan back in October. So I kind of wanted to ask, like, what kind of did you learn about your team um, in that series then that you can kind of bring into this matchup here against Minnesota and beyond? Yeah, I, th- I mean, that was a long time ago. We, we played them, you know, I think it was the second weekend of the season. Obviously, the first game against Michigan did not go very well. Um, we got, um, you know, basically killed that game. Uh, but we responded uh, the second game and it was a great college hockey game. Um, you know, uh, we understand that uh, obviously with the scores of the big 10 games in the, in the first uh, round of the NCAAs, so they put up some big numbers there. All the teams are high powered offense. Um, and like I said earlier, I, I don't think we want to get into a track meet uh, with Minnesota. So, you know, we have to make sure 
that we're playing our game. And, and I think you know, I've talked about it before, but that's one thing we really focus on is our own game. And we want to make sure that our details and our structure and all those things are ready to go on, on Thursday. Michael Wax, WTBU Sports. Uh, just wondering, you played a couple of uh, times at Emily Arena back when it was the Ice Palace, back when it was St. Pete Times Forum. With Florida being an unconventional <clears throat> market for, for hockey, is there anything with either the ice or the boards or the arena itself that you're letting your players know might be a little bit different? Uh, not, not really. Um, you know, the, um, the warm weather places that they're used to, uh, keeping the ice conditions um, good, and, and I, I don't think there's anything you really have to worry about. Um, you know, I just totally got to bring some shorts. It's going to be nice weather down there, so um, more than anything else. But, yeah, it, it's it's the same. Once you get inside a rink, it, you, you're ready to play hockey, so I don't think it really matters where it's at. Uh, hi, Coach. Charles Moore, you today. Um, you've talked all season about how depth is a strength of this team. This past weekend, it was Ethan Phillips who really stepped up and shined. What can you say about both Phillips and the depth of this team going into the Frozen Four? Yeah, well, the depth is, it's no question been a strength of ours um, over the course of the season. Um, you know, we, we can roll four lines that, you know, can all contribute. Um, we can roll D that can all contribute. So that's been the strength of our team. And like I said earlier, we have, you know, a, a big upper class. Uh, and we also have uh, some young guys that have contributed uh, huge for us this year. So, we have a lot of depth. Um, Ethan Phillips, uh, really happy with the way he played this week. I'm really happy for him. Um, he, he was injured there at the end of the first half, missed uh, over two months. Uh, so it takes a while to come back from that. So I think it took him a little bit to get his legs under him. And, and I, I give him a lot of credit. I think I mentioned it the other day, but he, he went into uh, the playoffs, um, you know, as uh, we usually dress 13 forwards. He was probably the 13th forward um, going into it. But like he he, um, he just wanted to be part of it. He wanted to do whatever he could do to help the team. And this time of year, like things are going to happen. Guys are going to get injured. Um, you need to be ready when you get your opportunity. And he prepared himself, and he was ready, and he took advantage of it. So I give him a lot of credit. Uh, really happy for him. Great teammate, great player, great kid. Hi, Coach. Matt Kennedy, Minnesota Daily. You know, in the first round, um, you guys defeated Western Michigan pretty handily, and they have – one of the top lines in college hockey in Poland, Sass and McAllister, you know, what made you guys so successful against them and how will you um, take that going into playing against Cooley, Nice and Snuggerud against the Gophers? Yeah, I think it's just a group effort. Um, you have to be aware when those guys are on the ice. I think the big thing for us is make sure you manage the puck, uh, know who you're out there against, um, try to take away time and space. Um, you know, they're, they're highly talented, uh, especially, you know, both teams, but uh, the Minnesota line, I think is, you know, arguably the best line in the country. So, you know, we just have to make sure we're aware when they're on the ice and, and try to make it hard on them. Um, you don't want to, you don't want to get into a up and down game when they're on the ice. You have to make sure uh, you manage the puck when it's time to put it in deep, make them come 200 feet. It's a lot harder like that. Uh, instead of turning pucks over in the neutral zone and letting them transition, that's when, that's when it gets difficult against um, talented players. There you go. All four coaches uh, for the NCAA's Frozen Four. Now, that was a, a lengthy chunk of audio, uh, so we're going to get right to the break, and uh, we'll come back with a 2023 draft spotlight with a future collegian, Trey Augustine. He is the netminder for the U.S. National Development Program right now, one of two as they are a platoon system uh, with the U18 squad this year. They are about to go to Switzerland uh, for the World U18 Championship. 
So perfect timing to speak with Trey Augustine from Team USA. That's next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hey, this is Jack Rosovic from the U18 national team. Clayton Keller. Hey, this is JC Comfer. Hey, it's Joel Farabee from Team USA. Hi, I'm Hudson Fashing. Hi, it's Brady Shea. Hey, this is John Gibson from Team USA. This is Jordan Greenway. This is Matias Samuelson. Hey, this is Sonny Milano from the US NTDP. This is Oliver Wallstrom. Hi, this is Alex Tuck. This is Ryan Lindgren. Hi, I'm Steven Santini, and I play for the U18 national team. How's it going? Kate Fitzgerald with the national team. Hey, it's Austin Matthews. Hi, this is Jacob Truba from the USA Under-18 national team development program, and you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Oscar from Atchison loves Wilhawk beef jerky. I'll never forget it. <laughs> Heading to the lake. Three screaming kids in the back. Let's get ice cream, we said. Sour, soupy sundaes all over the van. But then I found Wilhawk beef jerky. Tender, seasoned pieces of meat smoked to perfection. Perfect for keeping little mouths busy. And best of all, no sloppy surprises. And I always make sure to bring a little extra to eat around the campfire. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. It's the best. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I got a bad feeling about this. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. We got one more segment to go this week, and we are going to turn on the 2023 draft spotlight and get to know another player eligible for the upcoming NHL draft. The Pipeline Show brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. You can get it anywhere in Western Canada. Go to their website at wilhockbeefjerky.com. We've had a run of goaltenders on the show over the last month or so, and another one this week, another one of the highly uh, highly touted and highly ranked uh, goaltenders eligible in the class of 2023. Uh, pleased to be joined now by Trey Augustine from uh, the U.S. National Development Program, the U18 squad for Team USA. Trey, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's a pleasure to get the, a chance to speak with you right now. I know it's a exciting time of year for you because uh, the World U18 right around the corner uh, getting set to head overseas, and I mean, this is something you guys have been building towards for two years now. Uh, it's got to be pretty exciting. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's the whole goal of the NTP is to get ready for U18 World, so we're looking forward to the opportunity. Uh, when do you leave, and uh, for those who don't know, where is the tournament being held this year? Uh, we're leaving April 10th, and then it's going to be in uh, Basel, Switzerland, so it'll be a cool environment to be in. Have you uh, been to Switzerland before? No, it's going to be my first time. Okay, so that's exciting a uh, twist on things as well. Uh, tell me about this season for, for you and for the program, because uh, I know you play a lot in the USHL, but you play a lot of Division One opponents, and then you have all the international stuff as well. Um, so it's not really accurate to just look at the USHL standings, although that's been pretty good for the development program this year. How have you felt about the way you and the team have played? Yeah, obviously the team's done really well this year. We really kind of picked up the pace from our U-17 year and just kind of own the moment and I've done well in USHL college or international so I think it's been good you just kind of just win as many games as you have. Do you have a preference of those three opponents where you have the USHL uh, schedule but then you've got the division one teams that you play against throughout the course of the year and then obviously you get to play those international tournaments and another big one coming up here in Switzerland but of those three sort of different opponents so do you have a preference yeah i mean it's all different kind of styles of play but i mean being able to put on the usa logo versus another country i mean there's nothing like that so 
I definitely say the national games have a little bit more on the line. Well, that's interesting because you get to wear your national colors every game that you play, uh, but it's a little bit different when you're playing, say, against Sweden or against Canada than it is when you're playing against Muskegon. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there it's best on best, just one country going on another, so definitely brings intensity up a little bit. Uh, and for yourself on a personal level this year, uh, throughout the, the course of the season, how have you felt about your game and your development uh, since you joined the program? Yeah, obviously at the program, it's just about trying to get better every day and just been doing everything I can to do that and just continue developing myself on the ice and as a person off the ice. So that's been really important to me. And then obviously, I feel like I've had a good season to this point so far. I'm just going to try and keep that rolling here into a little final stretch. How is this year different than your first year with the program uh, with the U17 squad? Yeah, the U17 year is hard. You're just kind of a younger kid who's being exposed to junior hockey for the first time. And some nights it's not easy and you're getting shelled sometimes, but hmm. just kind of battling through that time and just learning from those experiences and using them to help you in the future is just an important part of it. Having gone through that, that season with the U17s, does that just automatically get you prepared for this year and the, the U18? year is in some ways easier than the U17 just because you've you've kind of taken that step and you're you've all grown together as a as a team over the course of that year as well yeah for sure I mean coming back to that U18 year and with everyone every year older and then obviously the chemistry that you guys have built up now so just been a lot easier and just because I mean we just know each other so well so it's been a Important Trey Augustine is my guest. He's a netminder with uh, the U.S. National Development Program, getting ready to head to the World U18. This is the part of the show, Trey, where we let the audience kind of get to know somebody that's draft eligible. And my regular audience is a, it's a junior and college hockey show, so they'll they'll be familiar with the program. But uh, at this time uh, of year, there'll be a lot of casual NHL fans that don't care about junior or college hockey at all. They'll listen to a segment like this just because you're a a high-profile draft prospect. So for the benefit of that portion of the audience that might not know anything about you, let's get some background. Uh, tell me where you grew up. Yeah, so I, I grew up in South Line, Michigan. I've lived here almost my whole life. And it's located 20 minutes from Plymouth, where the MTP uh, is. So <laughs> grew up watching the games, and obviously it was an important goal of mine to make that team. But I, I'm curious, since it's that close to, to home, do you get to stay at home, or does the team all kind of uh, stay together? How does that work through the course of the year? Yeah, so like all the state, all state guys, they'll either have their parents move in and live with them, or they'll fill it, like you said. But sometimes I'm so close, I just feel able to stay at home. Nice. Do you like that, or do you kind of – is there part of you that almost wishes that it was, you know, that full experience, like as if you're a guy from Florida or Texas that was kind of having that experience? I'm not too sure. I mean, I feel like I'm pretty lucky to still be at home, be with my family. So mm. I'm kind of happy about it. All right. Uh, do you remember uh, who got you into hockey at a young age? It was my dad. He uh, he played just lower-level hockey. So he just kind of got me involved with learning to skate at a local ice rink. And I just loved to play the sport and just grew up. And then when I was playing my hockey, a team needed a goalie to step in. I just raised my hand and just kind of, been doing that ever since that's funny i usually ask players whether they're goalies or not if they ever had the chance to to put the pads on as a kid and uh, a lot of it was because their team didn't have a full-time goaltender so everybody had to take their turn is that sort of what the situation was there for you yeah sure i mean i think our team has rotated goalies but i mean 
anytime I had the chance to put the pads on, I would, was always eager to do it. So, why do you think that was? What attracted you to playing the position? I think it was just like kind of like the fancy gears, <laughs> kind of yeah. got me involved in, obviously, just uh, different. So, just kind of attracted me. That's not a, an unusual answer. A lot of guys, you know, it's kind of like being the catcher on a ball, baseball team or the, the quarterback because you're a, an individual on a team sport. You're still part of the team, but you kind of stick out that way. Um, not to say that it's an ego thing, but it's still being in a, in a unique position amongst the team. Uh, that makes So that makes a, a bit of sense to me. Is that kind of how you look at it too? Yeah, I mean, for sure. Just being able to still play the game I love, but just in a little different way than most people play it. Yeah. Did you take to the position right away? Was it something you enjoyed or did it take a little while, you know, as you start getting better, then it starts to get more fun or how, how long did it take for you to get comfortable being a goalie? Yeah. I mean, I always love playing goalie, but I mean, especially like the younger age is obviously not that like skilled or developed yet. So, I mean, obviously you learn like new techniques and things about position helps you get better, which I mean, just can help you out and, Obviously, makes it a little more fun for sure. Well, these days, uh, all goaltenders are, you know, to some degree similar in the way that they play the game, but everybody has their own differences as well. Um, I mean, most goaltenders are butterfly goalies, but some are a little bit more acrobatic in net than others. How do you stand out, or what's different about the way you play, or at least maybe the way you approach the game? Yeah, I mean, for me, I just try and be, I think I'm not a butterfly goalie, but I feel like I just try to be as calm and composed as I can in that. Just kind of give that aura off for my team and be able to have them stay relaxed around the net. A lot of guys, who, especially guys with the program, I'll ask them when getting that opportunity sort of became realistic for them and that they thought, well, maybe I can play for the National Development Program. For you, because it was in your backyard, it sounded like that was almost like a, a long-term goal for you, that you'd been thinking about that for a, for a long time. Is that fair? Yeah, definitely. I mean, just going up so close, you just go used to go and watch the games with my dad all the time and just seeing watching guys like Spencer Knight come up through the program it's super cool to watch them and obviously always had in the back of my head that's where I wanted to be so just kind of keeping that goal in mind and working towards it every day uh your goaltending partner uh with the U18 squad uh that's Carson Musser is that correct yes uh, what's that relationship like I know it's really important for the goaltenders to to push each other and practice and both guys want to get the starts. You guys seem to be splitting them pretty much uh, every every second game. You guys are rotating, uh, so you're competitive and you want to you want to start as many games as possible. But you got to have that healthy, uh, positive relationship too. Is that is that a difficult thing to balance? I mean, for us, no. I mean, Carson's one of my best friends on the team, and I kind of didn't really know him before we both got to the program. But he worked extremely hard and. I mean, every day in practice, it's a great competition and just a great, even honor to be able to kind of push each other. So it's worked out really well for us. Now, after the program uh, and your eligibility there is done, uh, looks like Michigan State is the program for you in the NCAA. Is that next year? Yes, it will be. All right. Uh, tell me why uh, becoming a Spartan was the right fit for you. I know it's it's another Michigan-based school, so I'm not sure if that was part of the attraction to to playing in state like that, or, or if it was something else, uh, you tell me. Yeah, I mean it's obviously pretty close to home for me, but I was able to play with uh, Coach Nangale at U18 last year, and right. really liked him as a coach. And so then when he got the job, 
there this summer, I kind of knew that would that would be a possibility. And obviously things just kind of fell into place, and I'm really happy with my decision. I have to ask you about the draft as well, uh, Trey. Uh, when I get players on the show, I'll ask them how much they they spend thinking about the draft. A lot of guys will tell me they don't want to think about it at all. They don't want it to become a distraction. There are lots of players who also tell me, I want to know where I'm ranked by central scouting or all those independent uh, scouting groups out there. And they use that as motivation. Uh, what about for you? Yeah, I try not look at it too much, but I mean, kind of like the NTDP, I mean, you want to get drafted. I'm just trying to do everything I can to make that a reality. All right. So when central scouting's list comes out and they have you as the number three ranked goaltender in North America, does that motivate you or do you, does that distract you? How do you view those types of things? I mean, it's definitely motivation. I mean, just trying to be the best at everything that I can. So when this and stuff like that come out, I'm just kind of using it to push myself even harder. Uh, what sort of things are you still trying to refine here uh, at the at the uh, at the program the rest of the way this year, which is going to wrap up here pretty quickly? But uh, what are you going to work on at the collegiate level so that when you become a pro, uh, you're going to have success at that level? What sort of areas of your game do you still have to refine the most? Yeah, I mean, that's right now we're just kind of in our final little tune-up for world, so I'm not really changing too much about my game. I'm just trying to make sure I'm kind of firing on all similar heading into the tournament. But, I mean, looking ahead, obviously, there's like a couple things. I mean, you see the NHL now, how good the goalies are at playing the puck. So I think that's definitely something I could take a stride in. Interesting. All right. Now, uh, being a Michigan guide, I don't want to assume the Red Wings were your team growing up, but uh, who was your NHL club? Or are you a guy who doesn't have a favorite team, but there are specific players that you cheer for? Yeah, I grew up watching the Red Wings, so that would be my team. All right, perfect. Well, listen, Trey, I really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck over in uh, Switzerland at the World U18s and uh, whatever happens to the draft, and maybe we'll chat again when you're a Spartan. Yeah, thank you. I really appreciate your time. All right, and there is Trey Augustine, and I, I'm thinking, without looking at uh, the uh, actual rankings, I might be done for goaltenders this year. That's a lot of goalies we've had on the program just in the last month or so. It's got to be six or seven guys. If there's another goalie out there that you want me to get on the show, uh, let me know. Send me a note at TPS underscore Gee. Trey Augustine going to Michigan State, a team that uh, enjoyed a bit of a bounce back uh, season. It's been a while since uh, the Spartans were significant. I wouldn't say relevant because I don't think that's fair, but uh, they haven't been a team that's been super competitive uh, for a while. Uh, Good to see them kind of rebounding here this past season. All right, that's going to do it for this week's episode. It's a short one because the show has to come out early again uh, because the Frozen Four starts on Thursday. So thanks to Dave Starman. That was an outstanding preview of the Frozen Four. Uh, Thanks to uh, all the NCAA and College Hockey Inc. for uh, setting up USA Hockey as well, for setting up all the coaches. Used to get all four of the coaches individually on the show. Doesn't quite work out the same way anymore, unfortunately, but did get all four coaches on the show in that way uh, through the conference call. So better than nothing. And of course, big thank you to Trey Augustine at the end there. All right, CHL playoffs are raging onwards. We've already got a bunch of upsets. World U18s uh, next week as teams are flying out to Switzerland. As I'm speaking with you right now, we don't know a Canadian roster yet. That's the disadvantage Canada has uh, headed to that tournament. It's how late that team gets put together. Virtually no practice time. But those are some of the things that we'll be able to talk about next week. And we'll note the national champion in the NCAA. 
Between now and then, get out and watch some junior or college hockey so that we can talk about it next week right here on The Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, and my name is Key Flaming. See ya!